In this episode, we are going to break down as many bad therapy snippets as we can. My name is Justin Sinceri. And I am Mercedes Corona. We are licensed marriage and family therapists obsessed with the polylegal theory. Welcome to Stuck Not Broken. All right. You do a great job with the welcome. Thank you. I trust you with it. You know what I mean? I appreciate that. Before we get into things, Mercedes, we have to put a couple mm. of disclaimers out there. Of course. First and foremost, of course, put yourself first. We keep every episode as safe as we can. But just by the nature of the topics, you may experience some stuff come up. So take a break if you need to. Also, this podcast is not therapy, nor is it intended to be a replacement for therapy. This is also not specific advice for therapists. There easily could be things that we miss. We're pretty much just top of our mind, whatever comes up. That's what we're going to say. This is not supposed to be all um, exhaustive list of potential ethical, legal, or clinical issues that we hear. This is just our first impressions. For, for things the most that part. jump out at us, things we react yeah. to. Yeah. We're treating these as fictional characters or just fictional situations. We don't know who they are. We don't know the reality of the situations. We're mm-hmm. just positing our thoughts, mm-hmm. but we're not diagnosing anybody or... We, we don't know. Right. All right, let's get rolling here. This is from Leah. Heads up, dear listener. This one has some language and some content that could very much be potentially very triggering for you. So heads up, this is a time where I really want you to put yourself first. Leah says, wanted to share my bad therapy story with you. I was 22 and had started seeing a therapist for my bulimia. Number one, he straight up asked me if I was raped. I told him no, and it... I heard you. I just... What? Yeah. (laughs) I told him no, and it took me another nine years to be able to find a therapist that I felt I could trust to disclose that information to. So that's number one. And we have a number two as well, but just with number one, your first impression is what? What? It's... um, I mean, based based on the information we have, and I have to assume that you know, we don't have all the details. That's a pretty short right. snippet. But based on the information we have, I'm not sure that I, as a therapist, would make the jump from, hey, I'm coming to see you for bulimia. Oh, were you raped? That's a that's a huge that's a bombshell of a question to drop. Really? And is. and without any like um you know, we, we always kind of keep keep the feelers out for the red flags, right? And mm-hmm. without any like red flags to Mm-hmm. trigger that question i feel like it's completely out of the blue and to ask it so bluntly is very um potentially triggering but just oh, it, yeah. at, at the at the at the minimum very off-putting just i don't want to say offensive exactly what's the word i'm looking for just jarring yes jarring is a good word i mean yes assuming this was the first session you kind of need to have some rapport some level of rapport and a question like this, I don't know about you, but I couch it in like, hey, you don't have to tell me anything mm-hmm. if you don't want to. But as part of my routine assessment, mm-hmm. uh, we, I do, we do ask about past traumas in general. I, I don't go through specifically, did this happen to you? This, did this happen mm-hmm. to you? This happen to you? But it's like anything you want me to know about right off the bat. If not, that's totally cool. We have lots of time for you to you know, go into stuff if you want to. On my end, there's no pressure to do so. Mm-hmm. And it's something that um, I'll respect, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of couch it in that. And things come up when they need to come up, it seems like. Agreed. And sometimes their client will be like, yeah, here, blah, blah, blah. Like, 
here's my list of stuff or my one thing or whatever it is mm-hmm. that I've been through, you know? Yeah. I'm trying to find some reason, some some process, a pattern in in why this therapist would have asked that question. Again, given the information we have, why they would have asked this question mm-hmm. right, right off the bat after understanding, you know, I, I'm, the presenting symptom is bulimia, the presenting issue is bulimia. And I, I want to be clear for any, you know, for the therapists that are listening out there, I'm not implying that never does bulimia and sexual trauma. I'm, right. I'm not implying that they never go together, but I'm saying right. to, to make the jump from I'm here because of this one specific issue and eating, you know, possible eating disorder to, you know, fly in with that one. And again, it, like you said, just there's there's a there's a gent a, a gentler way of asking of presenting that oh that yeah question I can see potentially this is just part of a assessment and maybe this is I mean just mm-hmm. like best case scenario this is a routine question as part of an assessment I don't know if I believe that but just best case scenario worst case scenario that comes to mind for me is kind of like what you were saying mm-hmm. which is and I don't know about bulimia I don't know if it, how um, how frequent this is an underlying predictor of later on bulimia but my mind goes to this therapist may have assumptions about his clients mm-hmm. maybe because it comes up a lot exactly or maybe because well i don't know for whatever reason and so a worst case scenario maybe that is that the question comes from a place of routine and a lack of sensitivity mm-hmm. like just checking boxes off like have you been raped yeah like, did this happen to you like like, I expect this to happen. Yeah. I'm just checking my boxes off. I, like, I have to ask. So I did have this, to, I did and this. I expect it. Yeah. Like, I expect because I've heard it so many times, and now I'm kind of numb to it. That's my mind goes to, like, as an extreme, mm. that might be where that person's at. I noticed for, for myself, like, I'll catch those little expectations in my mind. One that I caught myself doing was, like, the vast majority of kids that I've worked with over the years don't have a father in their life. Mm-hmm. And I found myself assuming, no matter the race, no matter whatever, like mm-hmm. I just assume. And I, I caught myself doing that once because a kid said they had their dad in their life. And I felt this like, oh, I didn't expect that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so there's these things that we, I think we get accustomed to or, or we just sort of mm-hmm. assume about our, especially if we work the same populations over and over again. Yeah. Or year after year, like there's similar things happen or similar flavors, similar backstories, similar family dynamics. And so we kind of start to assume. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I wonder if that were, if there was assumption there, plus some coldness, that's kind of where my, I go to. Mm-hmm. And so that sounds like it was pretty jarring. And like, that was like the first session ish. And that hurt this person. Now they, they couldn't, they didn't see someone for nine years. That I wanted to clarify that point. So that's what I understood too. So this person went to the therapist, had this experience, and then didn't feel safe enough to move forward in that process again for nine more years. Did did I understand that correctly? That's what Gosh, I'm getting that's from. That's a it. long time. Okay. That's what I'm getting from it, yeah. Okay. Okay, well that was one. Was there another part to that one or just I'm a little confused. I don't know if this is a different therapist or the same one. Okay. Leah says, I wanted to share my bad therapy story with you. So it might be another one. I'm not sure. We'll see. Maybe we can tease it out here. Okay. But it says number one, and this is number two. We were discussing the fact that I had a hard time making love with my husband without a shirt on. And his response was, well, that's ridiculous. Oh, You just need to take your shirt off, climb on top, and fuck him. 
And the last sentence is, needless to say, I never came back and have found a wonderful therapist that holds space for me. Oh, good. So I don't know if oh, it was the same goodness. one or, yeah. Two, two things. Okay. <laughs> off the bat. Okay. Uh, one, um, a bad therapist is going to be judgmental. Hmm. <laughs> a good therapist is not. And that is... Hmm. One of the foundation, maybe I could have said that better, but whatever. Um, wh- one of the foundations that I, at least I was I won't taught judge you for that. in my, thank you, Justin. Thank You're you. Welcome. One of the like most basic foundations, uh, like a core lesson in becoming a therapist throughout my entire educational training and then professional training before I became licensed was that non judgmental piece. You have to mm-hmm. provide a safe space, and that means we provide empathy and validation. And, and a non-judgmental attitude for, for a person to feel safe, to be able to come in and say whatever they need to say. Because sometimes people feel scared of the judgment, right? And I'm not saying necessarily from a therapist, but just in general, if I tell somebody this, they're going to be like, what the heck? And now you go to a person who's supposed to hold safe space for you. And the first response is, well, that's ridiculous. What you did, your response, your reaction, that's ridiculous. You're ridiculous. That's not okay. So that was a very mm-hmm. long explanation of my first problem with that. And then the second thing that came right well, out. No, I want to highlight, like you're right, sure, saying sure, that's sure. ridiculous is a judgment. Yes. Like he's passing judgment upon yes. her, what her lived experience or her reality is, her, her feelings well, and, and clearly yeah. this is, she, she recognizes that this is not, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, expected behavior or typical behavior between right. a husband. You know what I mean? Like, like right. in that scenario, she, she gets it. It doesn't match what she wants out of her relationship. And she clearly is, right. is looking for support, uh, you yeah. know, healing growth, you know, through that. Yeah. But when the first response in, in return is, well, that's ridiculous. That's going to, for me, that's going to close me down. That's going to shut me down immediately. You, you don't understand what I'm trying to say. You're not, you're not willing to hear me because I'm acknowledging that it's not reasonable and you're judging me. And so I don't want to totally. say anymore. Boom. Yeah. Yep. Judged. Judged. Right, what, was the se- what was the second thing? The second thing is, is then dictating what they should uh. do. Because that's the second thing that, I shouldn't say the second thing that we're taught, but that's another major <laughs> thing that we're taught. We don't give advice. We help clients through their problems. We help them figure out the solutions to their problems. Because I don't live your life. I don't know what your life is like. I don't know what the best choice is for you. Let's figure it out together. Let's Let's discuss all the options and see what works best for your own growth and your own process. Not, hey, take off your damn shirt, get oh on top God. of the boy. And do you know what I mean? Like that's judgmental and 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 directive. And those are two big no-nos for a therapist. And yeah, like wildly inappropriately directive. I mean, to come into therapy and say, hey, this is my problem, and then to hear back, we'll just do it, we'll just do it. Mm-hmm. Like no matter what it is, like hey, I'm having anorexia is my issue. We'll just, just eat stop food. it. Yeah, yeah. Just quit that's it. Re- that's not therapy. What's like at all? That's not. This is a common thing that comes up in these bad therapy ones is advice giving, mm-hmm. and the impulse to just like give an it's, answer. It's difficult, and I think this actually kind of ties back to the point you were making before about uh, routine, because I, mm-hmm. I I agree that that there are times, and especially like what you and I do, right? We serve a very specific mm-hmm. population. Mm-hmm. with very specific needs and it tends to be very similar across most yeah. of the most of the clients not always 
And I, right. and, you know, I don't want to stereotype or generalize, but no, no, it no. tends to be a pattern. And so we can fall into like a rut like of expectations. And so it's really important to, to understand that that's not every single client is going to be different. If we were to act on our impulses and just say what's on our mind, do you think we'd say like, just do your fucking homework? Yes. <laughs> just sit down in class. Just do it. Yes. <laughs> Probably wouldn't go very far, though. Well, and, and, and again, like that's not the job, right? That's not no. the job. They don't come no. to us to tell them what to do. They come to us no. to feel well, to heal from whatever's going on, to, to move through the issue, no. the trauma, the problem, whatever it is, and, and, and to find a way to handle it on their own. Not for us to say, grow up <laughs> and, oh my God. and get it done. Like, just do what you got to do. And then on top of that, the language that this person used. And let's be clear. Your girl, Mercedes Corona, loves herself an F-bomb. Love it. <laughs> it's a fantastic word. <laughs> it's a fantastic word. You use it for emphasis. It's, it's just, it's, it, it, does, it has a job and it does its job and it does it well. But for me, mm-hmm. the F-bomb doesn't have a place in the therapy office because it's so many reasons. It could be offensive as a, as a word as in language, right? It could be offensive because maybe it's a trigger, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, um, maybe could it's be, just yeah. unexpected. It's unprofessional. There's like a ton of reasons why not to use it. But uh, the biggest thing for me is, again, I want to create a safe space for my clients. Mm-hmm. And if I don't know how they, how they talk, how they speak, how, they, right. how they'll react, I'm not going to, I'm not going to use that word. You work therapy. with, with little kiddos right now, when you were working... Well, little to teens, yeah. Okay. Up to eighth grade. Oh, right, right, right. When you were working with adults, mm-hmm. when they would drop a uh, certain language in, would you ever mirror that and you mm-hmm. use the same language they're using? You know what I mean? So yes. if a client, an adult yes. client says, I had a really bad fucking day, I might say, tell me about your really bad fucking day. Like, mm-hmm. Just as mm-hmm. a simple example, like that... Yeah. Would be within the normal realm. That, oh. that feels, because now, because they've already told me a lot, right? They've told me, this is the language that they use. This feels natural for them. They feel comfortable with it. It feels yeah. safe. You know, I know that kind of, I don't know if that sounds weird, but no, no, it doesn't feel it, yeah. unsafe. You know, it's not a trigger mm-hmm. for me. And this feels natural for me to use this word. And so then I, as the therapist, can come in and, and match them. But I'm not going to one-up it either. I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, you effing dropped an F and F bomb. Let's effing do it. <laughs> That's, you know what I mean? But, but like you said, like mirroring, kind of matching where yeah. they're at. Yeah. That's different. Agreed. But get on top of him and f*** him. Oh, my God. Mm-mm. It's After uncomfortable to hear it. You know, like, it is. It's, it's, it's vulgar. It's, it, you're right. You know, well, there's another word. I can't think of it. Yeah. It's just trashy. It's an impulse control issue is what it is. <laughs> Hey, just a quick interlude. If you are interested in working with me as your therapist, head on over to justinlmft.com slash therapy. You can find a lot more information there, including my current rate and who I can and cannot work with. Specifically, if you're not in California, I can't work with you, unfortunately. But if you're in California and you can do late hours and do therapy virtually, then I might be a good fit for you. By now, you probably know how I work or get the idea of kind of how I understand change my knowledge of polyvagal theory, the somatic pieces of therapy and of change, 
So head to justinlmft.com slash therapy or email me justinlmft at gmail.com and just message me directly if you have more questions about working with me as your therapist. All right, uh, let's do another one here. Okay. Let's do another one. This one is from I don't know who because I didn't write the name down. Mm-hmm. So that's Anonymous. Okay. This is from Anonymous. The Anonymous says, as a 10-year-old with diabetes and horrible, in capitalized letters, horrible social anxiety, three therapists focus on diabetes. Oh. And then Anonymous says, diabetes is a contributing factor to mood, but I wasn't given any anxiety support. That was an issue. This is different. This is a different one. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I, I'm curious your thoughts here. My my initial ones, we, we can't ignore major things like diabetes. Sure. It it all plays in, you know, like a lot of this, sure. some of what we do, depending on the setting you're in, there's a lot of case management kind of stuff. There's a lot of, what do you call it? Just, um, you know, are you taking care of yourself week to week kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. I don't know what you'd call that, but just. I don't know if it's case management, but I I know what you mean. Just kind of yeah, under, the word. making sure a client has like their basic needs met, sleep, food, yeah. clothes, shelter. Yeah. So that could be totally appropriate. I had a kid that I was working with that was not taking care of their diabetic issues. And so it was an issue. And I was, I had brought it up in session, counselor brought it up, nurse brought it up mom brought it up so it was definitely addressed and what came up in that was the client told me like i'm tired of people bringing this up i'm tired of talking about it and i told them look i can't ignore it but i can definitely i won't be one of those people that's harping on you and nagging you i said can we call that even and they said yeah that's okay you know it's important we don't want to ignore these things that affect mental health but we also are there for the mental health aspect exactly so yes to to not address yes the social anxiety that, that seemed like a glaring omission on the three mm-hmm. therapists part i forgot it was three holy cow thrice thrice, thrice the issue i that that was that was the thing that immediately came to my mind i am a mental health professional not a medical doctor and yes just right. like you said like i i i have had clients who have had um Different things. I, I remember one just popped into my mind. A lot. It was a long time ago, but I met with a client who had cystic fibrosis, you know, uh, and I've had like I have clients. I've had clients that have had um, seizure disorders and diabetes and, you know, lots right. of different things. But I'm a mental health therapist. And if you tell me you're here for anxiety, I, I'm going to focus on the anxiety. And again, hmm. just like you said, like uh, there, I'm, I'll think of, I'm thinking about the times that I have had clients like this. I'll ask questions. You know what? I understand you're not here specifically for the diabetes. Help me understand what that like what that means for you in your life. I'll try and have kind of one full conversation about it, one like solid time, and then I'll check in every now and then. But you know, hey, thanks for helping me understand what how the diabetes kind of your experience is in your life. And now let's work on the anxiety. Let's tell me like let's work on yeah. that. Let's do that. Yeah. Because that's what my that's what my specialty is. We have to yeah, we have to bring something different to the table and I mean that that's our thing, so yeah. Well I would assume that even with a ten year old you're talking about I do this with my ten year old clients I meet with. Not very often, I mean I used to work with younger kids. 
uh, we talk, we still talk about what they want out of therapy. Mm-hmm. And so I would, I would hope they'd, they'd want to work on their social anxiety or their anger or whatever it is. And we would agree on that. And so if we're agree on that, then that's something that should be focused on. And yeah, we For can sure. address things that affect those mental health issues, the anger, the social anxiety. But yeah, I mean, I'm, we still agree on what we're going to work on. Mm-hmm. You know, I still mm-hmm. need to hear what, what's important to them to address. Mm-hmm. Especially one of the things that I, that I do is we have to think about um, like capability, capacity. What's the word I'm looking right. for? Capability, right, a, right, a client's sure. ability to understand what's going on, right? Because there mm-hmm. are some kids that um, I've worked with that have been on the spectrum, for example. Sure. Um, some higher functioning and some less higher functioning. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, like so you have to kind of meet them where they're at. This person, based on what they're saying, they remember being 10 years old and remember at 10 years old, wanting to work on the anxiety. So I, I'm imagining a 10-year-old who has the intellectual capacity to go there to say, hey, like, this is what I want mm-hmm. from therapy and to have that conversation. So yeah, that mm-hmm. definitely needs to happen. Agreed. All right, let's see if we can do one more. This is a different one. Okay. Just, just a couple lines. Okay. All, and what it says is, suggested meeting post-counseling as my mentor. Was game, but it never happened. Suggested meeting. Post counseling, or we'll say post therapy. As, as a mentor. My, well, the, and that might make a difference if it is like a school counselor versus a therapist. That may look different as far as like mentorship. Mm-hmm. But yeah, me, suggested, well, let's just assume it says they mean therapy. Yes. Suggested meeting post therapy as my mentor. So the therapist says, hey, we're done with counseling. How about I be your mentor? Mm-hmm. For some reason that it doesn't it doesn't usually happen, but the first thing that popped in my mind is like, I wonder if it was like money, like, hmm. I'll be your mentor if you pay me, you know, hmm. or was it like a, I don't I don't know, like was it like a personal yeah. relationship? Either way, it's gross. <laughs> I get the same general feeling that you're expressing, and it sound my guess is that they're. The therapist is my assumption. Again, like we don't know the hell, who these people are, mm-hmm. but my assumption is that on the therapist's part, there's a feeling of co- connection beyond the therapeutic relationship, and that makes me a little uncomfortable. Yeah, that's my concern. And so, you know, suggesting to meet after counseling and calling it a mentorship, it very well could be. I don't think it's appropriate. Mm-mm. To me, that seems like a big overstepping of therapeutic boundaries. You know, once the goal's met, therapy's over. You you don't yeah. hang out. You don't. I've never heard of a mentorship happening after that. I we were. I was never taught that. I'm assuming mm-hmm. the same for you. Yeah, that because it's not a thing. Right. It's really not. Yeah. It's not, and I and I feel like this is one of those examples of um, a therapist trying to get their own need met through the client, right. and that's right. a really that's a really I don't want to say it's a delicate line, but it's a. It has to be a very clear line for therapists to understand. And again, something we're taught in school and throughout our training. Every single thing that happens in the therapy office is in benefit of the client, for the wellness and benefit of the client. Nothing Mm -hmm. that happens in the therapy office should ever be for the benefit of the therapist, on behalf of the therapist, none of that. It should always be only for the client. And so if I am so attached to a client that I'm going to say, hey... I want to keep this going, even though we're done here, let's just, you know, change it up a little bit. That means I need friendship. I need companionship. I need connection. And I'm 
I'm looking for it through you, and that's completely inappropriate. And then, of course, there's the legal guidelines of the two years. So for mm-hmm. for clarification out there to the audience, for a California-based licensed marriage and family therapist like Justin and I are, there is a very specific written out rule that says that you are not allowed to have any sort of personal relationship earlier than two years post post therapy. So at the at the end of the very last session on that date, two years later, minimum for a personal relationship. Yeah. The concern here is a dual relationship, right? And even though therapy is over, a lot of times in therapy, that person can come right back or start up a, you know, a year later and say, hey, I need to return to for whatever reason. So the therapeutic relationship, even though the sessions are done and the goals met, the relationship still is kind of there. And I think that's why that two-year rule is there mm-hmm. because that is still the relationship. It it's is still, still a therapeutic right, relationship. There's... A dual relationship is when you have a therapeutic relationship and, and you're in a band together. Other. <laughs> or yeah, some other. You, you know, you're getting tips on stocks or something like that. Or you're their mentor. Or you're <laughs> So that the dual relationships in general are no-nos. Uh, I do have a link I'll put in the, in the description. Uh, this one I did find. I do have a link from CAMP to the California Association okay. of Marriage Family Therapists. It's a document about code of ethics, dual relationships in there. And they say that not all dual relationships are unethical. So it can be a subjective thing. But this one I would say is probably within the unethical range, I would assume. A mentorship and a therapeutic relationship are not. I don't think they really go together. Mm -mm. I don't think. I I don't think so. And like even even assuming the best, right? Even assuming that there's no malintent, that there's no wonky business going on. Even so, it goes back to the thing of like, there's a reason why these rules are in place. And our our first Mm -hmm. and foremost priority is always the wellness of the client. And just like you said, that goes beyond the end of therapy. Because in, in your eyes as the client, I will forever possibly be the therapist, you know? And I think of the kids that I've worked with. And I, I feel like they will mm, always yeah. think of me in their brain, no matter how old they are, no matter how True. old I am. True. If we happen to cross paths again, I feel like they will always conce- always conceptualize me as Miss Mercedes, the therapist, right? Right, for sure. Because that's it is what it is. And so even if there's no, even if there's only benign intent, it's still about the wellness of the client yeah. and putting their needs before yours, even if there's no therapeutic relationship anymore. We as therapists still have to maintain that. Yeah, and confidentiality is part of that because if we say, if we see someone out in the wild and say, hey, what's up? <laughs> in the wild. You know, the city, the wild of the city and it. say, hey, what's up? <laughs> like that right. we're exposing them as far as like the therapeutic relationship and mm-hmm. we're putting them in awkward situations. I've ran into, I, I live in a city that's fairly small and I see my clients out in the wild, you know, every now and again. Sure. And I saw one that she had completed therapy and she had a job. She was working. She was doing like drive through, like a McDonald's kind of thing. But mm-hmm. I was so happy, so proud of her. And I really want to say, good job, proud of you. Aww. But I didn't say a damn thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I just like head forward. <laughs> mm-hmm. You don't let them on. You don't let on that mm-hmm. there was some sort of prior relationship there because that would be breaking uh, confidentiality. Very... Yeah, exactly. But hell yeah, I want to say something. Oh, yeah. And just for any clients listening out there, if you approach us first, that's allowed. So if you're like, hey, 
Justin, yeah. oh my gosh, I remember when you helped me. And then that would be Justin's opportunity to say, yo, girl, hey, what's up? You're doing great. No, you don't <laughs> yeah, talk like exactly. that. Exactly. No, I don't. No, I don't. No. But yeah. But yeah, like, yeah. I And I, I guess I hadn't thought about this in a while, but like there is, once we're your therapist, it's almost like we're your therapist forever because we will always have to respect that, the confidentiality, the boundaries, the, the yeah. therapeutic relationship. And, and again, after that two-year limit, like in theory, I guess not in theory, in law, you're allowed yeah. to have a personal relationship. But it's still, for me, it would still feel wonky because totally, I was your therapist at some point. Yeah. Well, so I, real quick, I said not all two relationships are unethical. Mm-hmm. What I think that that means is that in some places, you might live in a very small area with not a you yeah. know, huge amount of people. Maybe you're the only therapist in town. And you also go to the grocery store when your clients like works there. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, that's a dual relationship. You have to interact with them. That's different. That's a like you have to kind of interact. Yeah. Just by the nature of where you live and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, it's a dual relationship, but that's not an ethical issue as long as the therapist's not breaking confidentiality or whatever. Mm-hmm. Kind of like my story with the former client that was doing the drive-through. Yeah. Mercedes, thank you for yes. joining me once again. Of course. You know I love it, Justin. Well, you'll be back. We have plenty more bad yes. therapy stories to discuss. Mm-hmm. And BTS songs to listen to. I'm just kidding. Nah. <laughs> <laughs>